Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching! <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI... Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> and edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and as always I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. Hello Dave. Hello Jess. Hello Matt. Hello Dave. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Great to be back together. Isn't it? Oh, it's so good to be here at the Stupid Old Studios. What a lovely space this is. That's right. The new studio. It's all happening here. Yeah. Absolutely loving it. Hopefully you can hear it at home that this is a good space. Hear that? That's oh, silence. Yeah. Ooh, that's good that's stuff. Nice. That's, that's crispy. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's crispy. Maybe too crisp. Can we get the crispy, crispiness down? <laughs> Evan, <laughs> sorry, Evan's in the booth next door. Can, and we, can we soften this? Soften that? Soften the crisp? Thanks. Thank that's, you. That's better. Yeah, that's much better. Thank Thanks, you, Evan. Evan Munro Smith. Everybody. Evan Munro Smith, everybody. Hey, if Evan was here, I'd ask him to explain how the show works, but uh, obviously he doesn't have a mic in that next room. So, yeah. Jess, instead, I'm going to ask you. Why do I have to do it? To ask Matt to explain the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way it works is one of the three of us gets a topic which we go away and research we just lather ourselves up in it we learn it we take a deep dive and we really get to know it. we get the ins we get the outs 
We buy we, that topic a drink. Yeah. We get to know it a little better. <laughs> and, and then, then we then, buy that topic a second drink. <laughs> <laughs> and if things are going really well. Yeah. Then we Wednesday, invite that topic back up to our hotel room. <laughs> we drop our hotel key. <laughs> In the margarita glass oh, and say, hey, hey. Might, maybe I'll see you later. And I say, why did you put this in my drink? <laughs> it's all, the hell? That's all sticky. That's disgusting. I was drinking that. And anyway, so we, we learn about a topic <laughs> and then we write that into a, a bit of a report, usually somewhere between three and and 15,000 words. <laughs> and, um, and then we bring that back. And we tell it to the other two uh, in report form and the other two just listen. Yeah. Occasionally maybe go on a bit of a, a tedious tangent. Oh, no, they don't do that. They just ask questions that yeah. might also benefit the listener yes. to hear the answer Exactly. To, so. Some, but sometimes they'll do an awful riff <laughs> that goes nowhere mm. but they keep fucking chasing it down as yeah, if yeah. It, maybe it'll turn around soon. That's right. And they, you know, if... I, if everything's working well, the editor will edit those out. <laughs> and Jess will be editing this week's episode. <laughs> She'll also be doing the report. Mm-hmm. But to get on a topic, Jess, do you have a question this week? I do. My question is, who? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Mike Myers. Is it Al? Who did Benedict Cumberbatch portray in the 2004 film? Oh, the, the Codecracker. Uh, Alan, Alan Turing. 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 Now, who gets the point there? Um, Dave, you said the code cracker. I'm paying. I'm also, giving it to me. You also interrupted me as I was reading the question, which is incredibly rude. Oh, do we not do that? Do we have to wait till the question's read? You must wait read? till the question has been read. Damn it. Let's all go around the room and say if we've seen the film. Me, no. Me, yes. Me, also, yes, because okay. I was writing this report. Okay. And it's not a documentary. But I just thought maybe it would explain some of the complex maths a little oh, bit. Oh, gotcha. That's right. Because in the kitchen before, we were talking about how you have a maths-heavy report coming up, and it now makes sense. Yeah, I, I was saying I wish Dave had done this report. <laughs> just because, it, like, it is obviously maths-heavy. Anyway, so, yes, the, the topic is Alan Turing, which has been suggested by a bunch of different people, including Fred Whitehead, Katrina Goldman, Ben Johnson, Hannah Hemsley-Brown, Callum J. Burgess-Wiley, <laughs> wow. Braden, Ian Whitehead... Maybe connected to Fred Whitehead? Probably. Miguel Acosta, Holly Hayden, uh, Justin Godley, and Dominic S. have all suggested this as a topic. A beautiful bunch of names. Fantastic. Beautiful bunch of names. I'd crack their code any day. Would you? I don't know what that means. Mm. (laughs) But would you code their crack? (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not, Dave. That is inappropriate. Please. Yeah, you can only... We're trying to do an. You save that. For we're marriage. trying to do an adult <laughs> podcast here, not an adult podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, we're, we're more easy listening than that sort of adult. <laughs> That's correct. Um, yeah. Okay. So you've seen the film, Matt? Do you remember anything? No, I saw it when I was at the cinemas. I have no idea. Like, was it ten years ago or something? But where yeah, were you? Two thousand and four. No, tw- uh, twenty fourteen. Okay. Because remember, you have a special ability to remember where you were when you first saw a movie. No, I used to have that, but uh, my memory is fading. That one, I can't. I can picture. I was in a cinema. I think I saw it by myself. I was killing time. He's closing his eyes and you can see the eyes. <laughs> bit of rapid eye <laughs> movement. It's yeah. amazing. He's going um, back in time. Yeah. <laughs> take me back. Take me back. Take me back. I was at the Melbourne Central Hoyts. Okay. Wow. Oh, shit, popcorn. Um, <laughs> I hate Hoyts popcorn. It's no good. Jess, actually, her secret talent. She can tell you where the good and bad popcorn is. Yeah, village popcorn's better. Village is better. Absolutely. I didn't know that. Hoyts is shit. It's a bit cardboardy. Yeah. Are you eating the box? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I tried to continue the riff there, but that is fine. Dave, is we're not doing an adult podcast. We're doing an, an adult podcast. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Are you eating the box? <laughs> That's <very> confusing. <laughs> Are you eating the box? Um, okay, so, but I mean, this is yeah, this has been suggested many times. Dave, you're very quick to to pick who I was talking about. Yes, because I think I've put it up for the vote for myself before, and I think it's come second at least once for the Patreon supporters. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Because people, uh, like you say, you go through the hat, there's a lot of suggestions. Well, I put this up, I put up four potential topics and this got 50-something percent of the vote. Wow. Nice. Like it was a bit of a landslide. Cop that to the other three. Yeah. Were they duds? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was um, the history of little toes. He, like he defeated <laughs> Nazis with math. So, right? so, yes. Is that how you pitched it? Because I'd vote for that. It's not how it was. Well, maybe it was how it was. I pitched. do. Re- I remember it being pretty sad and grim. I don't, I don't remember it have, leaving there feeling good about anything. Okay. It's another. Is that? Is that? I, I've, I can that hardly right. remember this film. You at all. remember the feeling? Yeah, I remember the feeling. Is that one of your great that. talents? You remember the feeling you yeah. have as you leave a cinema? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the eye thing again. So anyway, let me. Well, let me tell you about. Fantastic. Please, Alan Matheson. Turing. Oh my god, nominative determinism. Oh my His god. His middle name is Mass. I didn't I the whole time. Okay, I also <laughs> said to Dave earlier that this has been one of the hardest reports for me to write because I don't understand 95% of it. You don't even understand the you word use math. maths there to explain how much oh you my don't god, understand I math. Oh my god, look how good I'm doing. <laughs> Um, Alan Matheson Turing. Holy shit, that's good. He was born uh, in June of 1912 into a rather well-off family of status. His father, Julius, great name, was a senior colonial administrator with the Indian Civil Service and his mother was the daughter of Edward Wallace Stoney, who was the chief engineer of the Madras Railway, so a railway company that operated in southern India. Um, So this is during, like, British India. Alan's parents decided they wanted to raise their children in Britain and moved to London before Alan was born. He had an older brother as well. And during his childhood, though, his parents split their time between Hastings in the UK and India, leaving their two sons to stay with a retired army couple when they travelled. So they'd just sort of go back and forth. I say. I thought of it as well. Hastings, Hastings? I say. I say. (laughs) From the ages of six to nine years old, Alan attended St Michael's, a primary school in the St Leonard's-on-Sea. Nice. And St Michael's in St Leonard's. Yeah. Freaking St. hell. St. Michael's, St. Leonard's on Sea. How Christian are they going back they then? They fucking Damn love man, saints. They love saints. Don't Me they? too. You know when oh, I love the saints the most? 1966. Because <laughs> that is the year they won their one and only VFL AFL premiership. What an exciting time. Not counting the pre-season finals like the Wizard Cup. <laughs> I mean, who does count that? I'm not many people. But I've got a wizard cape. <laughs> <laughs> Even from a young, a very young age, Alan showed signs of being an immensely academically gifted child. The headmistress recognised his talent, noting that she has had clever boys and hardworking boys, but Alan is a genius. Whoa. <laughs> Imagine that in your school report. Hey, I've had clever kids come through this school. He's a genius. I've had clever boys. I've had hardworking boys. <laughs> Alan is a genius boy. <laughs> I've had boys. I've had them all. Hard work. Clever boys. Clever. Spotty boys. Little boys on bikes. Pimply boys. <laughs> Naughty. Cheeky. <laughs> greasy little swine. E <laughs> <Ear> boys. <laughs> but your boy is a genius. He's a genius. After St. Michael's, he was a student at Hazelhurst uh, Prep School 
until he was 13. And then he went to um, Sherborne School, a boarding independent school in the market town of Sherborne. Sherborne in Dorset. In Dorset. Dorset. An anecdote that I read said that the first day of school coincided with the 1926 general strike in Britain. It was like 1.7 million workers went on strike, largely those working in transport. But Turing was so determined to attend school that he rode his bicycle unaccompanied 60 miles or 97 k's from Southampton to Sherborne, stopping overnight at an inn. What? <laughs> Like any other kid would be like, oh, I can't get to school. Oh, so sad. I miss oh, I miss school. Oh, no. But he's like, I'll get on a bike <laughs> and I'll get to school. Remember when I uh, mentioned in a report recently that the, my bus broke down on the first day of school? We were all like, I guess we're not going. Yeah. And then another bus turned up. We're like, boom. <laughs> it's sort of like when a teacher doesn't turn up, to the teacher's late to class and you're like, <gasps> and then they walk in, you're like, fuck. Now we so actually close. have class. Imagine turning up. He's ridden overnight. So imagine he's... His first day is now Tuesday. He gets there and he's the only student there because no one else bothered. Yeah, but he rode his bike. At, at Sherborne, Turing's interest and in skills in maths and science continued to grow, although this was much to the disapproval of some of the teachers at Sherborne, whose definition of education placed more emphasis on the classics, like studies in Latin and ancient Greek. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The important stuff, exactly. I think. Yeah, more of your practical stuff, stuff yes. you could use later in life. Mm. Maths, what? It's just Come squiggles on, and numbers. Alan. Latin. Latin. That's good squiggles. Well, yeah. When you go, you once you finish school, you'll have an abacus that'll do the maths for you. Exactly. But you can't carry your pocket Latin everywhere. <laughs> oh, how can you? How will you have a conversation with anyone if you don't know Latin? Yeah. Fortius quo fidelius. Fidelius. Strength through loyalty. How will you read the saints' motto? Exactly. You'd have no idea. His headmaster wrote to his parents, I hope he will not fall between two stools. I don't know what that means. If he's to stay at public school, he must aim at becoming educated. He must aim at becoming slightly thicker than a piece of paper. He's too thin. He might fall between the two stools. What if he gets lost? I can't see him. What if, if he, he flits out a window? I can see him if he's standing face on, but as soon as he turns to the side, he disappears. He's but a wisp. That is such. What does that mean? I don't know, but uh, yeah, maybe it's sort of like he'll he'll fall behind or something. Imagine if you're the parents, you're used to getting the reports that say our boys, are, your boys are genius, and now he's going to fall through the stools. He's got to learn. He's got to learn the classics. Oh, fall between two stools comes up when I start to Google it. Fail to be or take one of two satisfactory alternatives. Right, never heard that phrase, but I enjoy the it. Work fell between two stools, being neither genuinely popular nor truly scholarly. Okay, so. I still don't truly understand. Uh, the headmaster goes on. because he's sticking with this fad of yeah, maths. Yeah, maths and science. <laughs> if, he is to, if he is to be solely a scientific specialist, he is wasting his time at a public school. We won't be teaching him maths and science. Thank you very much. I mean, they're doing maths and science classes. Over there, public school means private school, doesn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. This is, like a, this is a, boarding, a fancy boarding school. Right. Yeah, and it's the other way around for us. Despite this, Alan continued to demonstrate remarkable abilities and at 15 was solving advanced problems without even studying the specific subject. Like he hadn't done any calculus, but he was like quite easily solving calculus problems and stuff. Like it just came very naturally to him. Um, one of the biggest <laughs> things... <what? laughs> I was just going to 
I can't wait to find this out where he's going to laugh from this. This is going to be so funny. Here we go. Everybody, <laughs> Everybody set your expectations. Sh- Everyone, shush, shush, shush. Go on, Dave. I was thinking, was he, was he a calculator in another life? <laughs> Reincarnation. <laughs> I laughed because it was the dumbest thought I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's this guy? Hey, hey, was he a calculator in another life? Hey, what's going on over here? What the hell? So stupid. I say stupid stuff all the time. It's so much weirder coming from you. That's like I'd say that something that stupid ten times a minute. When you do it, it feels real weird. That's why I laughed at my own thought. You fucking idiot, I thought. Oh, was he a calculator in another one? Oh, oh, no. That's good stuff. That is great. That's actually really That's good stuff. That's very Dave. good stuff, Dave. That's actually really good. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad we got that. I'm glad we got That's, that. yeah. Oh, my God, that is good. That is actually really good. I am struggling to breathe. <laughs> 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 this must be so baffling for, especially in someone's first episode listening to this. Go, yeah. Oh, Alan Turing. They just I, wanted to hear about their maths hero. He's always <laughs> interested me. I love maths. I'm sure I'll understand Well, this. your hero was another calculator in another one. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine it Imagine if he was actually He was a calculator in another life But that means a calculator died And was reincarnated Which means calculators have souls Have souls Dave this is a lot bigger than I think you realise If you're turning him upside down he looks like boo <laughs> No wonder he was falling through stools This guy's If you turn a calculator on its side oh, That's a wisp It's but a wisp to wisp. Holy shit. That's, I mean, that's an early break. You know, we had a little breakdown pretty early well, in the That's pod. a breakdown. That's not a break, that's a breakdown. <laughs> okay. So he's at his fancy school. One of the biggest things for him to come out of his time at Sherborne was his friendship with fellow student Christopher Morecambe, who has been described as Turing's first love. They bonded over mathematics and science and were inseparable at school. Well, how much does he love math? So that was thought that was his first love. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. So, oh my god, so true. Oh, that's a great point. So <laughs> true. I mean, this is described by others, so maybe Turing would disagree and say maths was his first love. Um, sadly, Christopher Morecambe died in 1930 at the age of 18 from complications of bovine tuberculosis Whoa. contracted years earlier by drinking infected cow's milk. So he'd been sick for quite some time and he passed away at the age of 18. I've never heard of that and I'll just add it to the list of things I'm terrified of getting. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I think it's, we're probably okay now. This was in 1930. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, I've given up milk. Morecambe's death was understandably a devastating blow to Alan, who stayed in contact with Morecambe's mother, Frances, for many years after Chris's death. In a letter to Frances, he wrote, I am sure I could not have found... Anywhere, another companion so brilliant and yet so charming and unconceited. I regarded my interest in my work and in such things as astronomy, to which he introduced me, as something to be shared with him, and I think he felt a little the same about me. 
I know I must put as much energy, if not as much interest into my work as if he were as if he were alive, because that's what he would have liked me to do. So in a way, he kind of coped with grief by working that much harder on the topics of science and mathematics, the things that brought them together. After Sherborne, um, Turing was an undergraduate at King's College in Cambridge and was awarded first class honours in mathematics. At the age of 22, he was elected a fellow of King's College. He was granted this fellowship based on the strength of a dissertation he'd written in which he proved a version of the central limit theorem, which obviously I don't need to explain. Please don't ask me to. Maybe Dave should for, <laughs> uh, for the listeners who don't know it. Um, as it turns out, this had already been proven 13 years earlier in 1922 by a Finnish mathematician. Um, Turing didn't know that when he wrote his dissertation, but the committee was still impressed with his work, even saying that if Turing's work had been published before Lindenberg's, the Finnish mathematician, it would have been an important event in the mathematical literature of that year. So it was. they were still like, oh, you know, this kid's all right. <laughs> Do you love that? Hey, if you'd somehow done this 15 years earlier, it would have been important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And even if this guy hadn't proved it 13 years ago, uh, we'd be like, whoa, you know, so good job. And is, is it there would have been no doubt that he, like it wasn't possible he cheated or something? No, because it was like they'd, he'd proven it in a different way. Oh, right. There yeah. You so it, it was cool. different. Yeah. Um, this is from Britannica.com. In 1936, Turing's seminal paper called On Computable Numbers with an application to the Entscheiden problem mm-hmm. was recommended for publication by the American mathematical logician Alonzo Church, who had himself just published a paper that reached the same conclusion as Turing's, although by a different method. Turing's method had profound significance for the emerging science of computing. Later that year, Turing moved to Princeton University to study for a PhD in mathematical logic under Church's direction, which he completed in 1938. So he's just, he's brilliant. And he's like, his his work is, yeah, in, profound and very significant. And was he a doctor by like the age of 26? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty awesome. Had a PhD in, in 1938. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Um, so I turn again to Britannica.com to also explain what the Inscheiden problem is. <laughs> Let's see if you can follow this. What mathematicians called an effective method for solving a problem was simply one that could be carried by a human mathematical clerk working by rote. In Turing's time, those rote workers were in fact called computers and human computers carried out some aspect of the work later done by electronic computers. The Inscheiden problem sought an effective method for solving the fundamental mathematical problem of determining exactly which mathematical statements are provable within a given formal mathematical system and which are not. It's pretty nice and clear, I think. A method for determining this is called a decision method. In 1936, Turing and Church independently showed that, in general, the Inscheiden problem um, has no resolution, proving that no consistent formal system of arithmetic has an effective decision method. That's from Britannica.com. Oh, I mean, couldn't anyone have said that? Mm. It, for anybody who didn't follow, the New York Times sums it up a little simpler. The, it's the idea that there is no single algorithm that could determine the truth or falsity of any statement in formal logic. So there's no, like, one universal algorithm, I suppose. See, this is why I immediately regretted putting this up to the vote <laughs> and it winning because yeah. I, I was like, I don't understand this. <laughs> but, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's great that they worked that out, but it would have been way more satisfying if they'd worked out a thing that did decide what's provable and what, you know, what isn't. Yeah. 
what what you can and can't say but still if if it can't be done they've worked it out well it was in the course of his work on the Enscheiden problem that turing invented the universal turing machine it was an abstract computing machine that encapsulates the fundamental logical principles of the digital computer um an important step in turing's argument about Enscheiden problem was the claim now called the church church turing thesis was that everything humanly computable can also be computed by the universal Turing machine. It was essentially like he, he, he sort of theorised computers. Um, this claim is important because it marks out the limits of human computation. During his time at Princeton, in addition to his purely mathematical work, he also studied cryptology, also known as cryptography, and it's the practice and study of techniques for secure communication in the presence of adverse, adversarial behaviour. It's breaking codes. Right, gotcha. I was thinking cryptozoology. Mm, That's different. where my <laughs> did your mind go to the lizard man? Absolutely, and his love of the butter beans. Of butter butter beans. beans. Something yeah. you must know about the. <laughs> you must man. know that because this would have been ama- an amazing like um, main degree is of course mathematics. Yeah, uh, but he minored in interpretive <laughs> dance. Like that would be <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense. Puzzles and codes. Yes, it's interesting that um, the. Human human computers. So that the word computers and computing came from Humans. an old profession. Yeah, that's right. You know, it was just people like doing maths, that's sitting there computing stuff. I did not know that. Yeah. So after completing his PhD at Princeton, Turing returned to Cambridge in 1938. Of course, the following year, World War II broke out and Alan Turing joined the Bletchley Park Codebreakers at the Government Code and Cipher School, working in makeshift huts clustered around a mansion in Bletchley in Milton Keynes. <laughs> That's it's funny that old... there's a mansion right there, but they're in a hut. They're like, let's <laughs> hop some huts around, okay? Let's just quickly put together some huts and get to work. Their greatest initial challenge was figuring out the method of encryption of the German Enigma device, which was invented 20 years earlier by Arthur Scherbius, a German electrical engineer who had patented it as a civil machine to encrypt commercial messages. So you've heard of the Enigma. Yep. Well, Cambridge University has a video on YouTube that explains the Enigma machine well enough that even I could almost understand it. <laughs> so I'm going to use that to try and explain it as well. It would be very funny if I just put a video on now. <laughs> Listeners can kind of hear it in the background and you guys going, ah. You get one of those screens you pull down. From yeah. the roof. So that's what I'll be using now. So it's about the size of a typewriter and an Enigma machine has a second set of letters above the keyboard called a lamp board. So if you press a letter on the keyboard, the machine generates a different letter to represent it on the lamp board. So you might press K, but F lights up. Think of typewriter keyboard and then it's flat on top and there's uh, all the letters there and they light up. Inside the Enigma machine are three rotors which turn after pressing a key, making the wires of the circuit rotate. So this changes the circuit completely, meaning that even if you pressed the same letter every time, you'd produce different letters in the code. Amazing. It's, it's incredible. Encoded messages would be a particular scramble of letters on, on any given day that would, tr- would translate to a comprehensible sentence when unscrambled. So Enigma operators received code books which specified which settings the machine would use every day and every morning the code would change. Or I think it was like every night at midnight, I think. Right, so if you had one from a few days ago, it's different. It's different. The codes are different today. So you, you, might, you might somehow figure out a way to crack that code but the... The settings are different today, so it doesn't help you crack today's code. That's so amazing. It's incredible. 
the standard Enigma machine had over 150 million, million, million possible daily settings. It's 150 <sighs> with 18 zeros after it. Quintillion. 150 million, million, million possible. Oh, so all you need is 150 million, million chimps on a typewriter. <laughs> One of them's going to write Shakespeare <laughs> yeah. and crack a code, and crack I guess. The code. <laughs> Manually, I think I, I heard that it would take them 20 million years to do one message. And they had to find a way to do 20 million years of work in about 20 minutes. Are they still doing it? Still They're going. still working on it now and they will be for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> now, as early as 1932, a small team of Polish mathematician cryptanalysts led by Marian Rajowski uh, had succeeded in deducing the internal wiring of the Enigma. They'd kind of figured it out. And by 1938, Rajowski's team had devised a code-breaking machine they called the Bomba, which is the Polish word for a type of ice cream, which is a great thing to name oh, so really civilised technology would have been, after. If it was an Australian one, it would have been called Buffalo Bill. Buff- Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill, <laughs> obviously. The gay time. Buffalo, gay time. Buffalo Bill. Gay time. Yes. Gay time Bill. <laughs> gay time Bill. <laughs> yep. Oh, what about Splice, Gay Time Bill? That's good. Cornetto. Cornetto, Cornetto. Drumstick, Splice, Gay Time Bill. Calippo. Milo okay. Scoop Shake. Sun, sun, sunny Ice Boys. Crunchy. <laughs> sunny Boys. Sunny actually boys. is a good name. Yeah. It's quite cute. Yeah. Almost named my dog Sunny. Um, the bomber only worked based on German operating procedures and a change in those procedures in 1940 meant the bomber was now useless. Like they'd sort of figured something out, but then the Germans changed how they were doing it and they're like, well, now we've, we, don't, we don't know. Um, so during the autumn of 1939 and the spring of 1940, Turing and, the, and others designed a related but different code-breaking machine that they called the bomb. It's bomber without the A. Oh. <laughs> Bit of fun. But that's quite confusing during the war, though, it is isn't actually, it? Actually, yeah. How many bombs have we got? Yeah. Have you placed the bomb? Yeah, that's. It's not. It's not a good idea. Mm. And bringing it through an airport would be a nightmare. One time, um, have I told you this story? One time on Simply the Jest, uh, which is a segment I do on radio where we get people's stories. Somebody was told us a story about traveling. They were coming home to Australia after traveling around Europe, and their little brother said to their parents, has anybody checked the bomb? And they got taken into a room no. and like interrogated. But what the son had meant was the Bureau of Meteorology. Which people commonly which call, call the bomb. The bomb. Yeah. And he was an eight-year-old was just asking, has anybody checked the weather at no, home? They poor has anybody kid. checked the bomb? And then someone just said to the security, this kid just asked if they've checked the bomb. Security had to like, they called to the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia and, and asked if... Oh, where was oh, this? It was overseas. It was overseas. Oh, right. So they, because they don't know the... No. You'd be like, it's no, no, it's, it's the weather. It's the Bureau weather. of Meteorology, but it's also so funny that a kid is asking that. Yeah. Anybody check the bomb? Am I dressed appropriately for our <laughs> arrival home? Do I need a jumper? I just think that's very funny. <laughs> so yeah, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Don't call things bombs. Don't. But I'm going to say the word bomb quite a lot more now. Your bag gets pulled across and through the x-rays and they're like, sorry, can I look in here? What What is this? Oh, that's just a bomb. It's just a bomb. <gasps> yeah, that, now that you've... It would also yeah. be pretty stupid to admit that if it was and they'd like say, an explosive, wouldn't it? You've got the yeah. entire Bureau of, Bureau of Meteorology <laughs> yeah. in your bag? Yes. Actually, no, I've got it on my phone. <laughs> that's, an ad, that's an ad for the app. And then yeah. they destroy We've just written an ad for the app, for the bomb app. Yeah. Probably we should cut that and send it off. Cut that. Here you go. Here you go. There you go, Bomb. Here you go, Bureau. Hopefully no one's listening to this on speakerphone. 
as they, they go, go through, through the security. X-ray. Bomb, 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 bomb. La 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 bomba. <laughs> sex bomb. La 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 bomba. So. Sex bomb. Sex bomb. <laughs> the non-sex bomb searched for possible correct settings used. Oh, cop for that, Alan. Message. Oh, great. So he's not a sex. He's bomb. not a sex bomb. Damn. He was played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Please. That's true. <laughs> I feel silly now. The sex bomb searched for possible correct settings used for an Enigma message. So like the rotor order, the rotor settings, plug board settings, there's a lot. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Using a suitable crib. A crib's a bit like a cheat. It's like an attack model for crypto... Cryptanalysis, where the attacker has access to both the plain text, which is called a crib, and the encrypted version. It's like, yeah, it's like having a little. It's like when you're trying to figure out, um, like what kind of code is, and you have like this symbol means C, and this symbol means K. Now figure out the rest. It's like having a little, a little cheat. You got, you've got a little bit of the information, and and can kind of work backwards from there, or you can eliminate things from there. So the bomb essentially went through, and it detected. A, when a contradiction had occurred and ruled out that setting, setting moving on to the next. So it's just kind of whirring through trying to get the settings right. It's very strange. Most of the um, possible settings would cause contradictions and be discarded, leaving only a few to be investigated in detail. So essentially, like, it was a process of elimination. It could rule out certain combinations, therefore bringing the number of possible meanings down, but it usually ended up sort of needing to, like, it would kind of figure out what settings and then people would have to go and like manually code oh, break wow. stuff anyway. And But you were saying there's like a quintillion amount yeah. of, which is a word I'd never heard before. 150 million, million, million. But then they'd eliminate a bunch of those so they'd be easier to work like out. Like 120 million, million, million. I don't, so that's, oh. that's heaps. I should I don't say know. I don't think I've, I haven't heard that word since Ryan 
um, ruined the cotillion in season one of the OC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I, I don't know what that means either, but. That but he a, ruined it. He ruined it. There was a cotillion there as yeah, well. Yeah, and he ruined the cotillion. Yeah. What a bad boy. Such a bad oh, from boy. the wrong side of the tracks. Gene A. Chino. It's a long time since I've seen it. But that's another. Great song. Yeah, I kind of like, I reckon that song isn't good, but I love it. No, I, I think it's good. It's actually, it. Oh, wow. Good double. Okay. Am I the deciding vote <laughs> Yeah, now? Yeah, because that riff. Do, 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 so good. But maybe it's maybe it's just been overdone that uh, now I'm like, nah, it sucks. Oh, okay. <sighs> Sorry. Hey, we had a real uh, little... Uh, yeah, Goldilocks scenario. <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. It's just right. So in the case of the Enigma, the German High Command was very meticulous about the overall security of the Enigma system and understood the possible problems of crib. So it was like we know that people could sort of figure some stuff out. The day-to-day operators, on the other hand, were less careful. The Bletchley Park team would guess some of the plain text based upon when the message was sent and by recognising routine operational messages. So, for instance, a daily weather report was transmitted by the Germans at the same time every day. The bomb. The bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Due to the regimented style of the military reports, it would contain the words a wetter, German for weather, at the same location in every message. So knowing local weather conditions helped Bletchley Park guess other parts of the plain text as well. So if they're like, okay, they're talking about the weather and they're talking about this place, so we can figure out what those words are, and so then kind of work backwards. And, yeah, yeah, they're figuring cool. out bits and pieces of information. It's very interesting. Other operators too would send standard salutations or introductions. An officer stationed in the uh, Quatara Depression consistently reported that he had nothing to report. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me that's what brought him down. Well, getting used to these sort of habits and quirks meant that the code breakers had enough info that they could figure out other parts of the message. Like, oh, it's this guy and he always says I've got nothing to report so that we can figure out that's what these codes are. Heil Hitler occurred at the end of every message as well so they also could sort of figure that out too. Yeah, so just by them being consistent, it's so it's such a it's all such a clever system they've put together. That, what what was it called? The the enigma. The enigma. Yeah. So, but yeah, they're they're being so regimented and yeah, isn't that like a yeah classic German thing? Is it where you're just sort of like you know precision mm. and all that sort of stuff, same time of day every day. Yep, and that's what's bring uh, bringing them down. Yeah, Which it's is pretty funny. You think part of the system would have should have been, and it probably has been since we go. We have to fluctuate when we send these out. And yeah, mix it up, mix things up in different ways, phrase and, things differently, and don't just say nothing to report yeah. every day. You yeah. fucking only report if you've got something to report. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Say That's say true. some gibberish. That'll actually make yeah. it. Yeah, it'll be very confusing for everybody. The chicken clocks. Okay. That means nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> cluck, cluck, says the chicken. <laughs> means send help. I'm in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so at Bletchley Park in World War II, strenuous efforts were made to use and even force the Germans to produce messages with known plain text. So they tried to sort of like sneakily get information out of them. So, for example, when they were lacking in like cribs or those little cheats, Bletchley Park would sometimes ask the Royal Air Force to seed a particular area of the North Sea with mines, a process that came to be known as gardening. <laughs> just go plant some seeds. Okay. So they just drop a whole bunch of mines in there. 
Then the Enigma messages that came out soon after would most likely contain the name of the area or the harbour threatened by those mines and that gave them little bits of information so then they could kind of work backwards from there. So they would purposefully like they'd force the Germans to talk about a particular place just so they could figure it out. Very clever. clever. By late 1941, Turing and his fellow cryptanalysts nailed it. Gordon Welchman, Hugh Alexander and Stuart Milner-Barry were getting frustrated. Building on the work of their Polish colleagues, they'd set up a good working system for decrypting Enigma signals, but the limited staff and bombs meant they couldn't translate all the signals. They needed more resources. And with any military or government project, there are a million steps and a lot of red tape um, to get money or resources. And they weren't successful in getting those things through the proper channels. Um, and this is from a, a World War II website I found called wikipedia.org. Mm, okay. Oh. So it says, so in October they wrote directly to Winston Churchill explaining their difficulties. They emphasised how small their need was compared with the vast expenditure of men and money by the forces and compared with the level of assistance they could offer to the forces. So they're like, hey, you know, like you're either going to lose a whole bunch of soldiers or you could give us a little bit of money. We could probably save some of those lives. Um, as Andrew Hodges, biographer of Turing, later wrote, this letter had an electric effect. Churchill wrote a memo to General Ismay which read, action this day, make sure they have all they want on extreme priority and report to me that this has been done. So within a month, the chief of the Secret Service reported that every possible measure was being taken. The cryptographers at Bletchley Park... They move Park, fast back then, don't they? Within one month. Within one month. Wow. They'd done something. And the cryptographers didn't know of the Prime Minister's response, but um, one of them, Milner Barry, recalled, all that we did notice was that almost from that day the rough ways began miraculously to be made smooth. So things just got a little bit easier. But they, they never got the thing being like, hey, we're taking care of this. Yeah, yeah they never got that, but sure. just things got easier and they're like, I think it worked. I think that letter worked. Wouldn't that be a morale boost to go hear that the yeah. Prime Minister's on board? You would think that, yeah. So maybe tell them. Stiff upper lip. In yeah. England, hey, yeah. hey, let's we don't be proud. Share emotion. We just forge on. That's right. Keep on, carry on, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So financial support for this department meant that by the end of the war, more than two hundred bombs were in operation. Now we're for, talking about weather websites. Weather websites. <laughs> for a visual of the bombs as well, they were very big machines. They were about two meters wide and two meters tall, sixty centimeters deep. They weighed about a ton. Wow. Each had 108 small drums on the front split into three groups of 12 triplets. So there's 36 of them in, like, in groups. Each triplet corresponded to the three rotors of an, enigma, of an Enigma scrambler. So essentially these little drums, they look like little wheels, would mimic a human testing every possible combination and option but in a fraction of the time. In the early models of the bombs, the drums rotated at a speed of 50.4 RPM and later versions 120 RPM and were able to test 17,576 possible positions for one rotor order in 20 minutes. So they're suddenly like working through stuff really quickly. That's sick. It's pretty, it's very cool and it doesn't make sense in my brain, but a lot of people say it's significant. (laughs) It's, I mean, it sounds incredible, but if there's 120 million, million, million combinations, is it, is it making it that much easier? It's it's significant, but you've also got um, how many of the machines working on it once? It's not just one machine. They had 200 by the end. So if they're all working through one part, you yeah, get okay. it fairly quickly. 
So Turing travelled to the United States in November of 1942 and worked with the US Navy cryptanalysts. Why is that such a hard word to say? Cryptanalysts. On the Naval Enigma and bomb construction in Washington. And he also visited their computing machine laboratory in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, God's country. (laughs) During his absence, one of his colleagues, Hugh Alexander, uh, assumed the position of the head of Hut 8, which is where they were working. Although Alexander had been the de facto head for some time because Turing had very little interest in the day-to-day running of the section. In the movie The Imitation Game, Hugh Alexander is depicted as like a, a kind of rival. He's put in charge from the beginning and he tries to get rid of Turing and they all bully him and hate him. It's one of those classic movie tropes of like enemies, we don't understand or appreciate your genius. Oh, would you look at that? He's really smart. Oh, you know what? He's actually a good dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm on his side and I'm going to stand up for him to the big bosses. Alan is my best friend. It's that sort of enemies to friends. But in actual fact, they weren't enemies and the people who worked with Turing were incredibly fond of him. The movie really depicts him as like, um, you know, one of those misunderstood geniuses and he's very like um, takes everything very literally and he doesn't have the greatest interpersonal skills and stuff. But everybody that actually worked with him is like, no, he's lovely. He's really great. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, but it just had to be more interesting for the film. Isn't it funny because that's how so many people know the story? Yeah. There's no, it feels like there's not enough responsibility shown by movie makers sometimes. Yeah. It's like you're actually sharing a, an important story and everyone thinks this is that guy. Yeah. I mean, if you just had him portrayed as a, as a regular person who was probably, I mean, he is quite literally a genius. So he probably is maybe a little bit eccentric or a little bit different or, you know, communicates in a different way or whatever. But like it, people didn't dislike him. In fact, um, Hugh Alexander wrote of Turing's contribution. There should be no question in anyone's mind that Turing's work was the biggest factor in Hut 8's success. In the early days, he was the only cryptographer who thought the problem worth tackling. And not only was he primarily responsible for the main theoretical work within the hut, but he also shared with Welchman and Keane the chief credit for the invention of the bomb. It is always difficult to say that anyone is absolutely indispensable, but if anyone was indispensable to Hut 8, it was Turing. The pioneer's work always tends to be forgotten when experience and routine later make everything seem easy and many of us in Hut 8 felt that the magnitude of Turing's contribution was never fully realised by the outside world. So that doesn't sound like somebody who hates this guy. Mm. Sounds like somebody who really respects him. And can I ask a question? The bomb, it now is able to decode completely or still is it just bits and pieces? I think it's... I think eventually it was decoding completely. Amazing. Which then they said, like, keep that secret. Right, because you don't want the enemy to know that you can read everything Didn't they're saying. Didn't want anybody yeah. to know. Like even their own, um, like even other people within. Because there could be moles or whatever. Yeah, so they're like nobody can know that we've cracked it, which is incredible. So the code-breaking efforts at Bletchley were exhausting. They were difficult and they came with more ethical dilemmas than one might expect. As they got better and better at intercepting messages, they often knew an attack was going to occur, but if they suddenly started moving every ship that was about to be attacked, it would give away to the Germans that they'd cracked the code. So often they had to just let things play out. Oh, that's a bit dodgy, isn't it? You're like, oh, we know your ship's about to get blown up, but we can't, can't do anything because move if you, you suddenly, or you had to make decisions about which things you could intercept and which you couldn't because, yeah, if, it, if all of a sudden every single thing that, Germany's planning on doing if all of a sudden like that ship has disappeared or that 
you know, everybody in that town has evacuated or whatever, then the Germans are going to be like, mm, how are they, how do they know? Yeah. And then they change their... It's like a, yeah, greater good sort yeah, of thing. But they yeah, they change the way the enigmas work and so now we've got to start from square one. So Brutal decisions to be right? made. Awful. Due to the problems of counterfactual history, it's hard to estimate the precise effect that their intelligence had on the war. However, official war historian Harry Hinsley estimated that this work shortened the war in Europe by more than two years and saved over 14 million lives. Amazing. Pretty That's cool. That's a lot of lives. That's a lot of lives. That's a spicy meatball. And then shortened it by two years, which is kind of cool. At the end of the war, a memo was sent out to all those who'd worked at Bletchley Park, reminding them that the code of silence dictated by the Official Secret Act did not end with the war but would continue indefinitely. So they weren't allowed to talk about what they'd done in the war. They weren't allowed to mention it at all. Therefore, even though Turing was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire, he got an OBE, in 1946 by King George VI for his wartime services, his work remained secret for decades. Oh, so no credit can be publicly given. That's right. What was his OBE? said they gave it to him for? Just for wartime services. Well, they just said like soccer. Yeah. yeah Goalkeeper. General wartime. Char- charity work. Yeah. That's often, I say. He just had a good attitude about the war and, uh, you know, stiff upper lip. Yeah, he was a cryptozoologist, found Bigfoot. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty cool. Like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty great. And then you know King George is like winking when he shakes his hand. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for finding Bigfoot. <laughs> Wink. Exactly. King George, not subtle. <laughs> Huh. But, yeah, essentially, like, if anybody asked after the war, you just, well, oh, I worked in a radio shack kind of thing. You know, <laughs> I worked in a ra- – oh, are you a DJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. did breakfast radio. Yeah. Oh, the hours are brutal. Oh, so, that's yeah, I'm stuff. the real hero of the war. Some people in the trenches, yeah, I, I was. I got up at 5 a.m. You Bom- believe that? Yeah, we played uh, Beat the Bomb. There's a classic call-in game. Uh, what's that smell? What's that sound? Which is it's unsound, which what's is a lot smell? easier to play on the I'm radio. I'm describing a smell. Guess what it is? Uh, it's bad. It's a bit of pongs. Yeah. So that's a really bad pong, this one. Oh, um, God. It's got a big a sort thick of... Pong thick pong on this one. Mm, yeah, you can always so, taste it. It smells yeah. a bit de- like dead. You know when something you're like, oh, something's died. Musty. Some, yeah. It's a musty dead pong. Um, is it a possum in the wall? It, it is, is a, possum a possum in the wall. wall. Ding, well ding, done. Ding, 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 Congratulations. You've won a square, so I, of, a ration of chocolate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the Black Thunders will be by with a few <laughs> icy cold cans of Coke. Should we do radio? <laughs> um, Jess. Hmm? Yes. Um, this is from Britannica again. This is post-war. In 1945, the war was over. Turing was recruited to the National Physics Laboratory in London to create an electronic computer. His design for the automatic computing engine, the ACE, was the first complete specification of an electronic s- stored program all-purpose digital computer. He's, he's often sort of seen as like one of the founding fathers of the computer. Had Turing's ACE been built as he planned it, it would have been vastly, it would have had vastly more memory than any other early computer, as well as being faster. However, his colleagues at NPL thought the engineering too difficult to attempt and a much smaller machine was built, which is called the Pilot Model ACE in 1950. So the, the 
plans that he had would have been had more memory and been faster. And they're like too hard. It's too hard. He's That's like, so funny. Yeah, I call it a MacBook Pro. And yeah. uh, mm, there's no money in this. <laughs> you can FaceTime. You can fit all your your whole all your records. Everything can fit in this. Yeah. Nah, who wants that? No. You can talk into it, and uh, it'll take what? notes for you. Walker, like, what crazy. the fuck is that? Yeah, it's a, it's Alan, a, you're crazy. <laughs> what did you do in the war? Tell me. People who, yeah, his colleagues are like, yeah, we got into this business to change lives. We're trying to make computers and stuff. Not well, but yeah, steady on. Yeah. Well, we don't well, want to re- change lives too much. Get out, Alan, chill out, would ya? Hey, we're, we're just collecting a paycheck here, mate. Yeah, that's right. NPL lost the race to build the first working electronic stored program digital computer, an honour that went to the Royal Society Computing Machine Laboratory. Fucking hell, uh, the names. I mean, they lost the race because they didn't really want to enter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's because they were too busy typing out their letterheads. So many freaking <laughs> words on their name. Am I right? I mean, what are these guys up to? Yeah. That's a bit that I might do on our breakfast radio show. Yeah, That's, great. Yeah, like that. What's the deal? Yeah. Uh, it's a, what are they up to with Matt? Hi. Okay, this week on What Are They Up To, we're talking about these computer companies from the olden days. <laughs> now, their names were long. <laughs> Let me give you a few. Uh the Royal Society Computing Machine Laboratory of the University of Manchester. What were they up to? <laughs> and then like a siren or something plays. <laughs> I think this could be good. That's pretty good stuff. No bad ideas. Call in if you know what they were up to. <laughs> I think they were making computers. That is correct. Well done. We'll send you a ration of chocolate. <laughs> it's still like the 40s. <laughs> So he was pretty discouraged by the delays at uh, NPL. So he took the uh, deputy directorship of the Computing Machine Laboratory in that year. There was no director, but he was deputy director. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Junior <laughs> vice president. His earlier theoretical concepts of a universal Turing machine had been a fundamental influence on the Manchester computer. Um, from the very beginning. And after Turing's arrival at Manchester, his main contributions to the computer's development were to design an input-output system using Bletchley Park technology to design its programming system. He also wrote the first, first ever programming manual and his programming system was used in the Ferranti Mark I, the first marketable computer. So he's just he's just like he's sitting in the back. He's working on computers now. He's all about computing. Amazing. It is really cool. Sounds like a bit of a nerd all of a sudden. <laughs> Yeah, what happened to you, Alan? You used to be cool. <laughs> you used to like crack codes. Yeah, you used to you, beat Nazis with yeah, your bare right. hands. You used to ride. You used to ride sixty miles to go to school when no one else was going. What badass. To you? <laughs> that is pretty badass. Yeah. That's pretty badass. Stopping overnight at an inn to go to been, school was like, pretty funny. And was he twelve years old or something? Or something? Like he was like early teens. Maybe. Hello, one night, one night in the room, <laughs> please. Hello, he's thruppers. <laughs> 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 Only one half board. <laughs> I'm just a little boy. Just a little boy. I don't take up a whole bed. <laughs> I'm just a little boy. Do you have any spare cupboards? <laughs> I sleep in your cupboard. What's wrong with us? Um, this is also from Britannica. Turing was a founding father of artificial intelligence and of modern cognitive science. He was a leading early exponent of the hypothesis that the human brain is in large in large part, a digital computing machine. What is a computer? What is our brain if not a computer? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Have you ever thought about that? Whoa. Isn't that crazy? <gasps> what is a computer if not a brain? Totally. What is a brain if not a computer? Oh, well, my God. We're going to go forth, aren't oh we? Yeah. Yep, my God. 
Don't hack my mind. He theorized that the cortex at birth is an unorganized machine that through training becomes organized into a universal machine or something like that. <laughs> that's it, that's a direct like quote. That. Turing proposed what was called the imitation game and subsequently became known as the Turing test. It was a test designed to determine whether a computer can think. So there are extreme difficulties in distinguishing original thought from sufficiently sophisticated parroting. Indeed, any evidence for original thought can be denied on the grounds that it ultimately was programmed into the computer. So Turing sidestepped the debate about exactly how to define thinking by means of a very practical, albeit subjective test. So if a computer acts, reacts and interacts like a sentient being, then call it sentient. Okay. That makes sense. If a computer acts, reacts or interacts like a sentient being, then call it sentient. But that's only if it can pass this test. To avoid rejection of evidence of machine intelligence, Turing suggested the imitation game, and here's how it works. A remote human interrogator with a fixed time frame must distinguish between a computer and a human subject based on their replies to various questions posed by the interrogator. By means of a series of such tests, a computer's success at thinking can be measured by its probability of being misidentified as a human subject. So if a human is asking a bunch of questions... And based on the answers goes, that's a human, but it's actually a computer. Then you're like, well, then the computer is thinking. Computer is is responding like a human. It and tricks it you. You thought it was a human, but it's a computer. So it's sentient. He's saying give him the vote. It's learnt. Give him the vote. We should be able to marry computers. <laughs> <laughs> is, that what he was, is that what he was angling I love for my all computer. along? Does that sort of make sense? Yeah. You're staring at me, Dave. Oh, so but he's saying that so they are they are sentient. Well, but are computer have has there been any sentient computers, especially back in his time? No, I mean, definitely not back in his time. But I think just his argument is like if it looks like shit, smells like shit, tastes like shit, probably shit. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. If it's talking like a human, <laughs> it's responding like a human. Let's just say it's human. <laughs> if a computer can trick you into thinking it's a human. Like, let's just call it human. Let's say it's learning and it is sentient. Okay. Very interesting. But that's where the imitation game came from. That's the, as in the title? The title. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So Turing was elected uh, a fellow of the Royal Society of London in March 1951, a very high honour, yet his life was about to become very difficult. In 1952, he met and started a relationship with a man named Arnold Murray and in January, Turing's house was burgled. Murray said he knew the burglar. I mean, in some, uh, like, uh, some resources say that Murray was the one who burgled him. Others say he just knew who the burglars were. Um, and in their line of questioning, detectives asked Turing what his relationship with Murray was and when they discovered that the men had a, a romantic, a physical relationship, both Turing and Murray were charged with gross indecency as homosexuality was a crime. Turing was later convinced by the advice of his brother and his own solicitor to enter a guilty plea and he was convicted and given a choice between imprisonment or a probation. Imprisonment would mean that he would be unable to work and Turing chose the probation, which came with conditions. He had to agree to undergo hormonal physical changes designed to reduce libido, known as oh, chemical castration. Gosh. He accepted the option of injections of a synthetic estrogen, rendering him impotent, causing uh, breast tissue to form and just generally causing him to feel really unwell. 
His conviction led to the removal of his security clearance and barred him from continuing his cryptographic consultancy with the government communication headquarters, but he was able to keep his academic job, which is why he chose to take the probation because if he'd chosen imprisonment, he would have lost both. Right, and his life's work is his life. Exactly right. I'm remembering why I left feeling sad. Yeah, Yeah, it's awful. Sadly, on the 8th of June 1954, a housekeeper discovered Alan Turing dead at his home. Cyanide poisoning was established as the cause of death and an inquest determined that Turing had taken his own life. Although others have suggested alternate explanations, the members of his family also denied that his death was self-inflicted. In August 2009, British programmer John Graham Cumming started a petition urging the British government to apologise for Turing's prosecution as a homosexual. The petition received more than 30,000 signatures. The Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, acknowledged this petition, releasing a statement on the 10th of September 2009, apologising and describing the treatment of Turing as appalling. Thousands of people have come together to demand justice for Alan Turing and recognition of the appalling way he was treated. While Turing was dealt with under the law of the time and we can't put the clock back, his treatment was, of course, utterly unfair and I am pleased to have the chance to say how deeply sorry I and we all are for what happened to him. So on behalf of the British government and all of those who live freely thanks to Alan's work, I am very proud to say we're sorry you deserved so much better. I don't know why he's so proud to say Yeah, I know. That's, he You're said that a few times, anything. happy and proud. I'm so That's proud. Sort of, that, was that would have gone through so many script writers and checks i'm like why it's too self-congratulatory yeah i'm a hero and for saying soz really stood out oh yeah soz allen say i mean it was the law at the time and you were dealt with accordingly and appropriately based on your there crimes. must have been people going i don't want to apologize well we want to well all right yeah well if you're going to do it make sure it sounds like we're doing a great thing and make sure it's very clear that I mean, that was the law at the time and it was actually quite fair what happened to him. But so sorry. On the 24th of December 2013, Queen Elizabeth II signed a pardon for Turing's conviction of gross indecency with immediate effect. Announcing the pardon, Lord Chancellor Chris Grayling said Turing deserved to be remembered and recognised for his fantastic contribution to the war effort and not for his later criminal convictions. The Queen officially pronounced Turing pardoned in August of 2014 and the Queen's action is only the fourth royal pardon granted since the conclusion of the Second World War. Wow. And and normally those pardons happen when it's proven that that person wasn't guilty of what they were charged with or something. Whereas by this incredibly outdated law, he was guilty of it, but she's still given a pardon. So good for Queen Lizzie. Yeah. But, yeah, a sad end. It's such a funny that who, who was the guy saying... He should be remembered for the things he did, not for his criminal. Yeah. It's like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? No one's one's thinking poorly of him because of that crime. Yeah. That only reflects badly on. Hey, hey, hey. Let's remember he did good stuff for the war, (laughs) not the crimes he clearly (laughs) committed. No one's saying that. But it wasn't until like the 60s that that homosexuality was decriminalised in the UK. Mm. 67, I think I remember reading. So it was like, it was a long time later. Yeah, and just one year after the Saints on their premiership. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. How weird is that to be like, hey, 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 hey. He did some great stuff, incredibly smart person, saved a lot of lives, really like set the groundwork for some things that we use every day now and we should be really grateful to that and we should respect that. Maybe and it needed Yes, to be- <laughs> he was a dirty criminal. 
Maybe it was needed. Maybe it was needed to be said at the time, and people were thinking, "I don't know," but yeah. it just seems weird. Like this is not. What are you talking ago. about? Yeah, nah, nah, nah. Lock him up. Lock him up. He deserved it. Absolutely wild stuff. Um. So yeah, a sad end, but to a pretty, pretty amazing life and pretty amazing story. And I hope that the many people that suggested it feel some sort of satisfaction in that report. I'm sorry, Dave didn't do it. Um, is that I'm what sure, they were all saying? I'm sure he would Everyone explain. Everyone was saying, I hope Dave does I'm it. That's what I'm saying it the whole fucking time I was writing this thing. <laughs> oh, I was like, God damn it, Jess. No, that's, I found that really interesting. I'm the one who knew the least about him because I haven't seen the movie. So, yeah, yeah I did not know that that's uh, sadly how he died. That's yeah. awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, and he's only, what? He was 41? Oh, my Early God. 40s, yeah. yeah. Oh, my He's done so much in his life. Yeah. I and the logic, I mean, it's so bizarre, the logic back then. They're like, this is unnatural, homosexual. Yeah. What we're going to do is pump you with estrogen. Yeah. Because it's unnatural to be homosexual. Yeah. So, so we'll we're going to fuck you. with your, against your will, basically. We'll destroy your libido. Then you won't want to do this disgusting thing of, it's like, what are you fucking talking about? Yeah, I don't know how, like, the, what, what are you thinking? And it was like in private. Not that it, not that it should have to be, but do you know what I mean? Like it's he, it didn't. It was only because he was burgled, and in oh. doing an investigation, they sort of asked, like, okay, well, this Murray person, right? Who's that to you? And he was honest. Like apparently, throughout his whole life, he was pretty open about being gay. I wonder how much uh, further computers would have developed if you'd been allowed to work another fifteen or twenty-five yeah. years. Yeah. With the thing you loved doing that he was a genius at. That's oh. right. Yeah, I know. And but like even t- if they were just being selfish, yeah, <laughs> they would have been smart to let him keep working. Exactly. Ah, people, huh? Not me. Not us. We're great. We always do the right thing at the right time. Yeah. But some people, I tell you what, they pee me right over. They pee. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry you got po'd. Yeah. Oh, what about the the movie? Did you like the movie? Yeah, the movie's pretty good. It's it, yeah, it's fine. Like it's. Um, Did you know the story before you? I I'd, I'd yeah. already started. I think because reading. I didn't know how. Like it's just so sad. Yeah. What an awful. And the thing as well, so like these detectives who are looking through it. I don't know if there's an element of truth to this part of the movie, but the detectives turn up to like help him, and he's not giving them a lot of information. He's like, no, nothing was stolen, and they think it's a bit odd. He, they think he's a bit odd. Um, and they're like sus on him because, because he's a professor from Cambridge and a couple of other professors from Cambridge ended up being spies. So they're like, what's he hiding? And oh. that's why they dig a little deeper, but they're sus on him and they're trying to find like they're trying to get records of his um, his time in the military and it's, it's empty and they're like, what the fuck? Because they didn't know what he'd done in the war. Right, because he's like, my clearance is way above yours, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all been like scrapped like let's just say no i won record. the war yeah. i basically won the <laughs> yeah. war okay let's just leave let's it just at say that. you're welcome so they're going through all of this and they have no actual idea and it wasn't until like decades later i forgot to write down but it was something like yeah it was relatively recently that it was released and we found out exactly what he actually did quite recently incredible ridiculous so that is my report on Alan Turing and the imitation game. Fascinating. Fascinating. Great story. Obviously heartbreaking, but uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Sad ending, but amazing. pretty amazing middle. Yeah. And there's there's more that he did as well. Um, 
more sort of like yeah stuff in AI and encryption and and all kinds of stuff. Like he yeah he did a lot after the war as well, but yeah he could have done so much more if he had been treated a little better by a really stupid law and some nosy fucking detectives. Yeah, <laughs> you fucking dogs. Now that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show, where we get to thank some of our fantastic supporters. Without these people, this show would not exist. And if you want to be one of them, you can go to dogoonpod.com or patreon.com slash dogoonpod. There's a bunch of different levels where you can support us on, get all sorts of rewards. Do we call them rewards? They're rewards. It feels like it's a bit much, really. Bonuses. Bonuses. Gifts. Gifts. (laughs) (laughs) From... From our family to yours, <laughs> prezies. Uh, what yeah. are some What are some things people can get, Bopper? Yeah, some of the prezies. Some of the prezies you can get is uh, a three bonus episodes a month, access to our Facebook group, which is the kindest corner of the internet. Um, you could scroll back and look at all the newsletters I used to write that I haven't for a good six months, um, but, but nobody's complained about the lack of newsletter. I don't think they cared about the newsletter. No, I don't think they care or like the newsletter. They don't want to hear what we've been up to. No, I don't want to hear what we've been up to. <laughs> it was always very dull. It's so boring. Maybe we have such boring lives. Especially it was like two years of lockdown. It's like, what have you been up to? Fuck all. Yeah, like, maybe true. I don't want to be like all salesperson here, but we should probably focus on the things that people do like. <laughs> yes, to get them. early access to tickets to live shows. The Facebook group. That's a lovely... I said that. Oh, sorry. Fucking hell. It's like you don't even listen. Well, I, I listen to all the, the things that people hate. <laughs> they really pricked your ears up. Did you mention three bonus episodes? Yes. I did, I did, I heard that. <laughs> uh, and one of the other things you can do if you sign up to the Sydney Scheinberg level or above is you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question in this segment, which we call Fact, Quote, or Question, and it has a little jingle. It goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Ah, she always remembers the jingle. Uh, and now, with this part of the episode, what we do is read out one of the great names of these great supporters. They get to give themselves a title, and then they get to ask a question, give a fact, or quote a quote, or anything really. Yep. Sometimes they'll do a suggestion. We've had Sometimes a re- it's brags. We've had a recipe before. Oh, Recipes. It can be anything. Uh, the first can I one- make a suggestion? Yes. Can either, because um, I'm now fixated on this, can you either... Take your coffee and put it on the ground rather than on the cream couch or <laughs> swap with Dave and have this little thing where you could put oh, it Oh, can on. I have that little thing, Dave? I'm because afraid. I... This is good content. I have not been listening for a good two minutes okay. just thinking about that. Should I be wearing pants on this couch? <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous couch. It's a cream couch, Dave. Of course you should be wearing pants. <laughs> Always check the colour of the couch before you sit down on, on it pantsless. That's a great rule. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, the first fact, quote, or question of this week is Paul Mellor, a.k.a. lover of savoury puddings. Dave, where oh. do you stand on this? Savoury pudding? What, what does savory, that mean? What is a savoury pudding? What is a savouring pudding? No. Like, savouring. Is Paul going to tell us? Uh, oh, that's a good point. I, I He's asking so. a question. Uh, Paul, I know Paul as a, a regular correspondent. He's a Saint supporter in England, and um, I it just feels like that could be an English thing. A savory they pudding. They do things a little differently over there. They're crazy. Because oh, is it? You know how sometimes they just refer to any dessert as pudding. They say, "What's for pudding?" Yeah, true. Is it any savory? Oh, just anything savory. I've just, I, I don't normally do this, 
I don't know. I never normally read these out, so I read them out. But I just did do a quick skim, and the word pudding is in here. Let's see what okay. Paul okay, has to say. Paul writes, "Hi guys, loving the pod and content as always. Thank you. And now and uh, now you're treated- and content as always. Oh, that's true. That's what it might be. Hi guys, loving the pod and content as always." <laughs> That sounds better. That sounds nice. And now and now you treat us to a web series too. Artifacts. It's awesome. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you, Paul. Uh, yeah, for people who don't know, we did a, a web series six-parter where we went around Melbourne to some of our iconic museums and galleries mm. and some st- caught some street art as well and, and told the stories of different pieces of art. In front of the art. You can see it. You can hear it. You can lick it. No. We decided to No, can't. we were told you cannot lick it. Uh, that would happen on a very early episode, luckily. Thank goodness. Uh, so, Paul continues, my question for you this week is, have you ever been told a new name for something you eat that you just could not believe? I cannot believe this. I see it, but I do not believe it. That's a famous bit of footy commentary. And I like to think that that also applies to this like yeah. so, someone brings out like the cloche and they lift it up. I see it, but I simply do not believe it. Do we want to hear Paul's um, example first? Because, and I love that Paul's done this. Whenever someone asks a question, we always encourage them to also answer the question. Yeah. Do you want to hear his answer before you give yours? Yeah, I think I do. Okay, Paul writes. My example is: we have a dish that is a bit of a northern favourite: the steak and kidney pudding. Basically, meat and gravy in a suet pastry. Saying that right? Uh, it is almost like a soft upside-down pie and they are steam-cooked. They are lovely with chips and mushy peas from the chip shop. I'm pretty sure Dave would be a fan. Anyway, I was working with a guy uh, from the neighbouring town of Burnley and he ordered his lunch. He ordered a Babby's Head Chips, Peas and Gravy. <laughs> yes, that is Babby, not Baby. Turned out that was... Uh, That was what him and all his friends and family called the pudding. I will put a link on here so you can see it, but it kind of looks like a baby's head. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But it's called a baby's head. Baby. I've never heard (laughs) that. Baby. Baby. I've never heard that since. And a pretty strange thing to call something you eat. I don't know if you get these in Australia, but if you do, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, (laughs) I don't. No, if you get these in Australia, but if you do, you maybe know what I mean. It's a bit of a sick name, maybe. Snake and pygmy pigmy pudding is better. Oh, my God. I'm finding reading very hard early in this section of the show. That's and i got about to great. do a lot of reading. Dave, what are, you, what are your thoughts there? Babby. Babby. I mean, d- d- is there a link so I can see an image of it? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good it point. it does sound... It sounded great until he said it looked like a baby's head. And yeah, like, that's, oh, okay. yeah, that's not as appealing. Not sure about that. He heard it, but he did not believe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There's a... You have to pay $8, put in your credit card details. Look at this Saying there's a database error. This is good podcasting, I reckon. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, Dave, why don't you look up uh, steak and kidney pudding... And I'll move on to the next one. No worries. Which comes from Julian Wren, uh, a.k.a. the Disney Villain Defender. Okay. Julian's also asking a question, writing, What villain or bad guy in a movie or TV show do you root for every time? Oh, Loot and Plunder. 
No, oh, yeah. Captain Pollution. Is that Loot and Plunder? Oh, no. Loot and Plunder are the characters' names. Yeah. Captain Pollution's a different Captain Planet villain. Yeah. I'm Captain Pollution. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, so that that's the full question? Yes. Uh, but Julian does answer. Do you wanna, oh, we, do we even answer Paul's question? No. Jeez, this is I a strong start. I feel like we answered Paul's question before he asked the question because we were like... Savory pudding? <laughs> yeah. We couldn't get our head around it. I have Googled it. Steak and kidney pudding. That's what we're looking at. It does, it does look like an upside down pie. It, more than a baby's head yeah, to me. Yeah, it looks delicious. That oh, does look okay. good. Like it, it looks like you cut it open and it just pours out. Yeah. Much like a baby's head. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul's question was, have you ever been told a new name for something you eat that you just could not believe? It's such a specific question. I can't think of an example no. of that. People are like, oh no, that's cold. Hmm. Uh, I'm <laughs> sure there, there might be some, but I can't access it in my brain right now. Paul, great question. Babby's pudding. Yeah, Babby's. Thank, thank you for educating us on that. Um, love that. Back to Julian's question. Movie uh, villain or a TV show villain? Megamind. Oh, what's Megamind Have you seen from? Megamind? Oh, from the movie Megamind? Yeah. Wasn't he a villain? Yeah, that's good Seems fun. like it. That was fun. Megamind. That's my answer. Who else? Who are you rooting for in a, in a mm. um, what about the the Karate Kid? The bad yeah. guy on that isn't yeah. he meant to be misunderstood? I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Um, I mean, I love it when Darth Vader comes on the screen and just fucks him up. Oh, at the end of that Star Wars story one. Yeah, what, when he just comes Rogue in and, and like you know all the little the little wussies come in with their lasers and he's like <laughs> the little wussies. You know, they're all little. Little wussy boys, and then uh, he comes in, and, and obviously you're not supp- you're supposed to be like, oh no, he, he's evil, but you're also like, thank God, finally a lightsaber in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> and then he just is really cool. Wow, he's cool. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. cool. I'm trying to Sorry think to step on your villains. toes there, Matt. Yeah, that was that making was great sound effects. Pretty good. Was, yeah, that's actually some one of my sounds. Wow, wow. <laughs> Sorry to do it better than you, right to your face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, so you can't do it. No, but. Yeah, that's on me. And I, I love I love watching some villains like um, Dennis Hopper in Speed. Oh, oh yeah, he's great. great love it. So good. Scar, The Lion King. <laughs> oh. You evil, evil person. He's got great Jeremy songs. Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. performance. Um, so that's fun. Yeah. Obviously Voldemort. What a great guy. Voldemort. Great guy. Ha ha. What that blonde kid who says Potter. Draco Malfoy. <laughs> I yep. only know him from a girl who said, yes. says she looks like him on TikTok. She does quite a bit. Um, yeah, Draco Malfoy, great villain. Great villain. Uh, yeah, I mean, so many. I mean, the harder question would be name a, a good guy that I root for. Yeah, I don't, think care. Of a don't one. care for him. No. Ooh, uh, we're doing things by the book. Boring. Yawn fest. Yes. By book. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Julian. Great question. Pete Holberton, a.k.a. Wannabe Steely-Eyed Missile Man. Wannabe Steely-Eyed Missile okay. Man. Pete's coming in with a fact. Writing, the second moon landing, Apollo 12, was struck by lightning just after launch. The electrical surge knocked out its fuel cells and instrumentation, lighting up the control panel like a Christmas tree. <laughs> And sending gibberish to the screens in Mission Control in Houston. Oh, sounds like they had a little problem. <laughs> uh, but one of the controllers, John Aaron, recognised a pattern in the gibberish 
that he'd seen just once a year before. And he had to click, uh, he had the crew flick an obscure switch, try SCE to Ox. The switch was to obs- uh, so obscure, even the commander of the mission, astronaut Peter Conrad, had never heard of it. His response was, what the hell is that? But his crewmate Al Bean recognised it, flipped it, and normality was restored. The mission was saved, and Pete and Al became the third and fourth men to walk on the moon a few days later. John Aaron's quick thinking and coolness under pressure earned him the highest possible praise from his NASA... Is it NASA or NASA? From his NASA colleagues. (laughs) He's known as Steely-Eyed Missile Man which may even top Cobra as the coolest nickname Steely-eyed ever. Steely-eyed missile man. And before you ask, Dave, we are not calling you that. Come, what about just either Steely-eyed or missile man? Steely-eyed missile man. It's I a, think it's missile a man. mouthful, isn't it? Because I could probably, yeah, put I, you I in, I could probably mouth, shove you in a missile launcher <laughs> and just send you off. <laughs> missile man. Yeah. <laughs> missile man. Our little missile man. Hey. That's missile man. Good. Like we're saying it wrong too. Missile man, isn't it? Missile man. <laughs> missile. Oh, missile man. <laughs> missile, man. Mi- missile man. Missile man. Missile man. That's bad. He's the missile man. I also to the tune of Brad's guitar man. <laughs> Who's with me? Everybody. He's a missile man. I mean, Rocket Man's right there. <laughs> no, I don't see it. Um, I also <laughs> like the name in that story of Al Bean. Al Bean. It's fantastic. That's great. Can I be that? That's so close to Simpsons guy, Al Jean. Oh, yeah. Hmm, fun fact. Makes you think. <laughs> and the <laughs> last... <laughs> thanks very much for that one, Pete. Bloody and the last one this week comes from Lily Morley, a.k.a. Tired IT Girl. Uh, definitely information technology IT, not it girl. Yeah, that's me. I'm a tired it girl. Honoured by that title, <laughs> though, Jess, if only it was true. <laughs> you must have called her the it girl. I think Last I said the IT girl and then said, well, it could be it girl. Oh, I love that. I'm not that fucking stupid that I immediately I would have said Bob. it wrong. I love it, Bob. Do you love it? I love it. Do you love me? I love you, Bob. <laughs> uh, and I love Lily. And Lily writes a question here. Uh, a question a friend from work always asks when there's a lull in the conversation. What is your favourite crisp? Or Ooh. chip, <laughs> cheese and onion. If you're American inclined, or Australia, we don't say crisps here. What do we say? Chips. We just say chips. Yeah, we just say chips. Cold chips or hot chips. There, we use the same word, don't we? And um, but we always know it. you. You don't often have to actually clarify, no. do you? It's only every now and then that you have to go, oh, hot chips. Yeah. You don't say cold chips. Do Americans are they the same? They say chips for both. No, they say fries. They say fries for chips. For hot chips. And what do they say for chips? Chips. Okay. And in England, they say chips are chips, but crisps, crisps for are chips. chips. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just way easier. We say chips are chips and we say chips for chips. Yeah. That's and you get the context. It's yeah. only sometimes when you're like, oh, I feel like chippies. And you go, hot chippies? You go, nah, chips. Yeah. Or you say potato chips. Yeah, yeah. If you really want to clarify. But otherwise, usually, just based on the context, you know well, what's happening. Course, but potato chips would mean crisps. crisps. Or chips. And hot chips would be hot potato chips. Yeah. It's actually quite simple. It is pretty simple when you put all of that. So but the what question is, call, what's your favourite crisps? What do you call a jacket potato? A jacket yeah. potato. <laughs> my my go-to for a long time has been salt and vinegar. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, How I love you? a salt and vinegar. I love an S&V. I love a light and tangy. Oh. That was my childhood favourite. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're hit and miss, though, to be honest. If you get a good packet with lots of flavouring, 
nothing like it. But more often than not, you get a pretty shit packet. Yeah. Um, very bland flavoring. You're like, well, this has ruined my day. So an S and V, I reckon, just it's for it's ruined my, ruin my day. It's pretty easy to ruin if my day. If not my week. Um. Yeah. Something I reckon. No I had barbecue last night. We're so similar, night. Bob. You and I. You and I. We're the same. We're the same. Two peas, one pod. Cast. Oh, I like um Red Rock Deli. Do like a honey soy chicken. Holy shit, they're delicious. That sounds good. I'm a big fan of the original, the plain, Course the salted. Of course you fucking are. <laughs> oh, if I had to guess. Dave, is your only criticism that sometimes they're a bit too salty? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my tongue is on fire. <laughs> um, oh, these are a bit spicy, these chips. I also like, um, you don't get them that often, but chicken? Chicken, oh, yeah. Green, green packet. Chicken green are everywhere. Packet. I love a... Uh, pardon? Chicken, very accessible. They're everywhere. But you don't get them that often, do you? As in actually purchase them? Yeah. What about chicken no. twisties? Much better than cheese twisties, in my opinion. Oh, interesting. I don't like twisties. No, I, I always I like the idea of them, but yeah, I've bought a bag on occasion. It takes me a few years to forget that they just make your mouth dry. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. Uh, well, are you happy with your answers there? Because Lily says that apparently you can tell a lot about people Here from their go. favorite crisp. Here we go. Which <laughs> means chip. Uh, so <laughs> I wonder what mine says about me. Mine is pom bears. What? Not sure if they are an Aussie thing too, but they are a little bear-shaped crisp. What? That are very light and a good little snack. This probably says I'm a five-year-old at heart. Love the pod. Keep up the great work and I hope you all had great holidays. Well, I didn't have a holiday, but I thank you for that all the same, Lily. Dave and Jess had great holidays, didn't you? Oh, we had the best holidays. Didn't you, Dave? You have a great holiday? Separately. Jess, you have a great holiday? Yeah. Separate holidays. And I was watching... Dave made that very clear when I said, can I come on your holiday? <laughs> I said, absolutely not. Get your own holiday, he said. And you did. And I did. I'm looking at pom bears. That sounds like it's right up my alley. Little bear-shaped oh, crisps. That's wild that they can. They have the, that they technology that? over there. How do they make a... How do they do that? How I do they want make them. a potato and a It's like bagel. teddy bear biscuits. They're fun because you like eat the head first, put them out of their misery, mm. you know? Oh, that's a great question, uh, Lily. I love, I love the... Cultural differences oh. that we have. Are they, yeah. They come in three main flavors. What flavors? Original. Yep, your fave. Dave's. S and V. Yep. Yep, mine. Cheese and onion. Jess. Ugh, I don't want cheese and onion. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my One of my favorite things to do, and I did this on my recent holiday, is going and checking out snacks and seeing that like the crisp packets are different colors. Like salt and vinegar was blue. Whoa. That's I was like, that's original, Dave. Yeah, that's a real mind. But original for Dave. was yellow, right? Which makes some sense, I guess. Chips I guess. are kind of yellow. S and V is pink. Yeah, obviously. It's exciting. It was a real thrill. I love cultural differences. Yeah, like I that. love it. I loved exploring the ABC stores in Honolulu. So thank you very much to Lily, Pete, Julian, and Paul for your facts and questions there the next thing we like to do is thank a few of our other great supporters bob you normally have a bit of a game that's related to the topic at hand that's true what are you thinking this week well i'm thinking of pulling back the curtain and saying we recorded this episode several weeks ago (laughs) and i don't remember any of it and i did the report i remember something and it was the turing test yes and code cracking what's their test or something like that okay yeah okay cool if you're happy with that. Yeah, I love that. That's Thank the first you, thing that came to my Thank mind. Thank you. Thank the you for listening intently I, to my report. I remember it. I loved it. Thank you. Enigma Machine was another thing that I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. Hitler? Can you work him into the game? I don't think so. 
Okay. How do we? How would you defeat Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> Turing did it with a puzzle. How would you do Quick. it? How would Nin- you do it? Ninja Swords. stars. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good combo, actually, you and me. Yeah, that's not bad. I'll oh. pin him to the wall with the ninja stars and you come in and cut off his head. Yeah, perfect. All right, so... <laughs> you know, or something. If I can <laughs> kick us off, yep. uh, I'd love to thank from Newman in Western Australia, Katie Clays. Katie Clays, the Clays test is uh, is a is a device that... Okay. That measures the temperature of bath water. Oh, that's good. That and you might be, be thinking, oh, a thermometer? No. no. You imbecile. Oh yes, my obviously. It's way more complex than that. You just don't have the scientific brain that Katie Clays does. Yes, because Katie, she's figured out, she can tell, not just the temperature it is now, but the temperature it will be in three hours time when you're getting out. Yeah. And how much hot water you'll need to top up with your toe hitting the uh, the hot water tap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, K- the Clays test. Uh, revolutionary. Thank you very much, Katie, for your support. I'd also love to thank from Sydney in New South Wales, Australia, Brendan Fallon. Brendan, Brendan Fallon. So the Fallon test. The Fallon test. Okay. It's, uh, it's a... Yeah, go on. No, please. I'd love to hear where you're going. Uh, it, it's a... It's a uh, it's a bit like a, a like a clap on a clapometer. Oh yeah, you know, like where it's sort of. <laughs> oh yeah. But it judges, oh, yeah, yeah. it judges how funny Jimmy Fallon's jokes are. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, so it's like an applause applause sort of thing, but it's the Fallon test. Yeah. And Brendan came up with it. Yeah. Wow. And how, does it norm? How does it peak? So, well, yeah, there's like, there's, it's, you know, got a it's bit of a It's how funny he's being, not how funny he's finding things. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> that'll be off that, the chart. That one broke. <laughs> that one. That one, yeah. Yeah, that one uh, malfunctioned. Do you think, is he doing all right on the, on the Fallon test? Mm, he's never quite hitting over into gut busting. Yeah, okay, fair enough. He's very pleasant. Yeah, very, yeah. No, very he's likeable. often sitting in pleasant, uh, like a, the, the, ne- the second level is haha. Yeah. Um, and then there's lol. And then there's ruffle. Yeah. And then there's gut busting. Gut busting. Right. He that never quite gets to gut busting. Honestly, but that's though. the dream. You the day he hits gut busting, he retires. Wow. Then you have to evacuate the. Yeah. Your guts. The studio. <laughs> your bowels. Yeah, that's right. Your bowels. <laughs> but but everyone else has evacuated their bowels. Uh, I would love to next thank Papillion from Papillion in NA New England. No, what's NA North? No, NA ne- Nevada maybe Nebraska. I'd love to thank oh, from Papillion. It's Nebraska. In Nebraska, in the United States, it's Aaron. <gasps> Aaron. The Aaron test. The Aaron test is, w- it's a test that works out uh, what the initials for the US state stand oh, for. Oh, fantastic. He's figured out a p- <laughs> the perfect way to remember. You go, I'll just do the Aaron test. You go, any, what's that? Nebraska, what's that? Yeah. New England, no, that's not a state. But he's got the perfect test yeah. where you go, beep, 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 and it, it works out. Aaron, Aaron's so great. He also, his Aaron test two is his test that he did where he had to figure out how many A's you have to put in your show title to be at the front of the Edinburgh Fringe oh, Festival absolutely. guide. Every year it's getting more, isn't it? Yeah. Ah, uh, <laughs> it's a comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, would you like to thank a few of our great supporters? Nothing would bring me more joy. I would love to thank from Wheeler's Hill in Victoria, uh, Jamia Hempfill. Oh, fantastic name. Wheeler's Hill, is that sort of vaguely where you grew up? Yeah. In the neighbourhood? Thank you. It's quite triggering. That's where my ex-boyfriend lives. Oh my goodness, still. Probably still, I don't know. Jamia? Jamia. Oh. my ex-boyfriend. Uh, Jamia, 
the the hemp hill test is of course um it's a you know it's a marijuana related test i yeah. suppose uh <laughs> you suppose um, <laughs> i suppose and it's it just what it does is that when you've got just a big hall of uh, the old mary jane uh-huh. right? okay uh, and the cops come in mm-hmm. and that it's they figure out the, the hemp hill test figures out how much they can skim off the top <laughs> uh, before being caught by the bloody toe cutters or whatever they call the the uh, internal affairs or whatever. Toe cutters. Have I been watching too much underbelly or something? I don't know what toe cutters. Is that are. not the term? I don't know, but maybe. So the it's for this. So essentially, the hemp hill test is for dirty cops. Is yeah, that what it's, you're a, saying? it's like a ratio to work out. If there's a kilo here, we I can, can probably skim off 200 grams. Yeah, toe, that's the, a lot. The term yeah. toe cutter. The term toe cutter is Australian slang for a person who lives by torturing other criminals, then robbing them. <laughs> it's nowhere near what I meant. Wow, it sounds As awful. As the name implies, the torture usually involves painful removal of the digits, or in some cases, the complete foot. And what's the point of it? Oh, no, hang on. Here we go. Urban Dictionary. In Australian police slang, toe cutter refers to members of the Internal Ethical Standards Division. So it is what I meant. You yeah, have well. been watching too much okay, Underbelly. They're two very different um, definitions. I haven't seen Underbelly in 10 years. <laughs> sure thing, mate. <laughs> I, pr- I swear. <laughs> I don't support Australian TV. I swear. <laughs> I hate it. Um, <laughs> I would also love to thank from Reservoir in Victoria, Alida Trung. Trung from Reservoir. You didn't say Reservoir, did you? No, I said Reservoir. Oh, fantastic. You south of the Yarra types. Always pronouncing it wrong, but you didn't. So, oh, oh my God. Jess is, for the listeners at home, Jess is I, it's staring interesting. I just me haven't, down right I now. haven't heard an apology yet. Because I think, Matt, I've heard you refer to it as Reservoir before. Yeah, no, I know. It's funny because a, a friend... And I, and I actually still haven't heard an apology. up here in Sydney <laughs> is looking to move down there and he's saying... And still, the day goes on. And he's been saying, like, you can't... He's like, the locals, they don't like it if you call it Reservoir. It's got to be Reservoir. And I'm like, yeah, both sound right to me. I don't know. And I'm sorry, Bob. Thank you. Uh, What is the Trung test? Uh, The Trung test. The Trung test. This is another marijuana one. You're never going to believe it. I'm I'm not going to believe it I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I don't believe it, Dave. (laughs) It's a test. Stop talking. We don't believe you. Shut up, Dave. When you uh, (laughs) work out uh, how much... You could get away with as your as personal use only. You know, when you get oh, yeah, like, yeah. oh, this is for personal use. So if you can get in there and um, like American film from the early two thousand style, prove that all ten kilos is for personal use yeah, by today. smoking it in front of the police. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been watching a bit of Underbelly, Dave? All these lingo type terms. That's the trung test. There That's we go. the trung test. And if you can prove it, yep. you get to keep it. Wow. Everyone knows. That's fantastic. That's a great test. Well put together, Alita. Love that. Um, finally, for me, I would love to thank from King Ussie. <laughs> King Ussie. King Ussie. <laughs> they put oh. their whole King Ussie into this one. <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't care if we're wrong. It's King Ussie. King Ussie. <laughs> In Great Britain, somewhere, Jack Mead. King Ussie. King Ussie. <laughs> King Ussie. King Ussie. King Ussie. Um, Jack Mead, that's the test where the King Ussie test <laughs> is where uh, the test of uh, oh, the, in Scotland. the players that are left out of uh, the national cricket team who should be in there for a long period. And, th- and this test figures out how instantly they will make their first ton 
Oh, wow, fantastic. And that's because awesome. Us- Usman Khawaja was out of the Australian team for so long, came in and just he did dominated. King yeah. Yusey. King Yusey. King Yusey. King Yusey. Well, I... King Yusi. I think they're a bit wrong there. That's it's King Yusi. King Yusi. King Yusi. Wow. That's a, that's a very important test because a lot of people that you feel like they should be in the side. Yeah. Get them in. Yeah, like um, Brad Hodge. Brad Hodge. Yeah. For ages he wasn't. Yeah. This was his last ever innings a double ton or something. You go out on top. He just did not get enough goes. That's a king. Ridiculous. But that was because they didn't have the King Yusi test back <laughs> no, they then. Do. But they do now, so that mistake won't happen again. Hey, I'd like to thank now from Columbia in a state that I will not recognize until I'm dead in the cold, cold ground, Missouri. <laughs> it is Andrew Hutchinson. The Hutchinson test. What's the Hutchinson test book? The Hutchinson test is uh, it's a device that you run across um, surfaces. You can use it on like carpets, rugs, bedding, or whatever, and it will tell you whether or not someone is pissed on this. <laughs> 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 I reckon, that, you know, as we're sitting in an Airbnb, I don't want that test done here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you were an Airbnb host, yes. wouldn't you want that? Oh, uh, I don't know if I'd want to know or not. I'm not well, sure. you should know because then you'd need to clean it for oh, your next guest. Very good point. Yes, very good point. I reckon on my Airbnb survey, I'd say, do you have, well, Hutchinson do you have a Hutchinson device? <laughs> yeah. And if not, then I'm not going to bother cleaning. But worry, if you do... I will clean I'll up because I have pissed everywhere. I've pissed everywhere. <laughs> I am like a fountain <laughs> at night. I was sure. I sure it was going to be another. See how much marijuana residue <laughs> has been there, and if if you can skim some off the top. <laughs> like, I thought we'd, I'm obsessed with that. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> no, piss was better. Piss was so much better. Test. Honestly, I saw a picture of a rug on a Facebook ad. Yeah, God, that's, that's where it went. <laughs> you literally got your feet on a rug. I know. And I, looked, I was like, oh, yeah, carpet You said exists. carpet and rug and I went, I oh, know what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> How does she do it? How does she use that imagination? I just said bedding. Can't see any bedding in that's here right true. now. That is okay, true. Okay, so I have thought. That's very I've true. I've used my noggin. Dave, who else do you want to thank? I'd like to thank from uh, Summersworth in New Hampshire. Summersworth. <laughs> Summersworth. It's not the same, but you know. Summersworth in New Hampshire. <laughs> Angelo Del Guidus. Oh, fantastic name. Guiducci. So it's Guiducci. the Del Guiducci test. Oh, the Gal- Del Guiducci test. And that is to work out whether fur and a coat is real or not. Ooh. So and before you throw your red paint, you better do yeah, the that's right. Del Guiducci yeah, whoa, whoa, test. Whoa, 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 whoa. Of course this isn't real. Yeah. Or if you're the other way and you want it to be, go, whoa, 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 this is real. Yeah. Get the paint. <laughs> I, I want people to know that I can afford this. I yeah, can. I'm rich. A lot, lot of death involved in this keeping me warm. Yeah. <laughs> Many cute little creatures died for me. I want people to know that. For I me to look cool once or twice. That's what I root in Disney movies for Cru- Cruella de Vil. Yeah, Cruella's great. Get that jacket. <laughs> Get it, girl. Hell yeah, you look great. You I look mean, amazing. If all those minks are going to be dying anyway, let's make the most of their skin and fur. What's a mink? I don't know. <laughs> are they mink? They're tiny. They're like are a they? mongoose. Mink. Takes a lot of mink. That feels oh, like they're cute. Oh, no. That felt like a real 90s thing. That, yeah, mink uh, coats. Mink coats. That was the that was a real status thing. Old rich people had mink coats. They're cute as shit. Oh, my gosh. They're so cute. They're so cute. Oh, I didn't need to hear that. They're like a little weasel. Oh they my are God, like a little, little weasel. 
It's Weasel. It's Weasel. Did we ever get to the bottom of that? We had about yes, 10 I, explanations. Yeah, I think it turned out that it was this niche one-off joke character from a Tailspin episode. Wow. That episode where Baloo's a pilot. Amazing. But it was uh, people also found it was in uh, there was a character in Frozen, which I was very flattered when people thought that oh, came yeah. out of my childhood. And um, uh, there was some news newsies or something, but that was like a an a live action show from the eighties or something. But I hadn't seen that, so I think it must have been Tailspin. Dave, I think you got one last person I to got thank. One to go, and I would love to thank from Winmally in New South Wales. All one word. Ruby Road. Ruby Road. Ruby Road. Jeez, that sounds like a beautiful spot. Now, the Ruby Road test, of course, is the test where you are able to... And Jess, just take notice of how much my imagination goes beyond what's in the room. Oh, get fucked. Uh, I said bedding. And this test is... That really threw me off when you said bedding. About, it tests roads to see how many rubies were in <laughs> the mix of the bitumen. Wow. He is good. Is, has it ever left zero, <laughs> that scale? <laughs> they, yeah, they're still not fully sure if the test works or not <laughs> yeah. because it's always come up as zero. Always, mm. Oh, another nun. No, it seems to be working. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. No, hey, zero again. Ruby Road, that's good work if you can get it. Ruby Road, well done. Beautiful name. For a boy or a girl. Uh, and the last thing we like to do is, I should just say, just recapping there, thank you so much to Ruby Road, Angelo, Andrew, Jack, Alita, Jamia, Aaron, Brendan, and Katie. And the last thing we like to do is welcome a few people into the Triptych Club. Now, for new listeners, the Triptych Club is a place, a very exclusive uh, place, where uh, listeners and supporters who've been on the shout-out level or above for three straight years are welcomed in. I'm... Uh, on the door, I've got the clipboard. I've got the guest list, short guest list tonight. Just the one name. Actually, I'm having a look ahead. Next episode's got like 20. Maybe I should do a few extra for a few oh. next week's ones today. What do you think? I reckon. Let's do it. Um, so we've got a few names then, Dave. How many do you want me to do today? What do we do? Five today. Five. You're still leaving quite a few to do. <laughs> is in it the legit 15? I thought, yeah, I mean it 20. is le- legit 20. What did we do three years ago that made so many people jump on? I don't know. I'm wow. not sure. Let's do 10, Dave. I reckon you got it in you. All right. All right. So, um, Jess, you're normally behind the bar as well. You've come up with a cocktail based on the Turing test. Yeah, it's called the Enigma. Ooh. And I will not tell you what's in it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Dave, you've normally booked a band for the after party. Uh, yes, we have got uh, an incredible actor now. Uh-huh. Obviously, uh, draping himself in a snake. It is Alice Cooper. Holy Whoa. shit. Can you believe it? The Prince of Darkness himself. Himself. If that's the name he goes by. Uh, so, I'm going to read out the names. Dave is up on stage. He's emceeing the event. Once mm-hmm. they come in, Dave will hype them up. And then Dave's a little bit sensitive. He doesn't always feel like he's done the best job. Often because he doesn't do a very good job. Mm-hmm. And then Jess, talking about? <laughs> then Jess is by his side or behind the bar. Sort of his Paul Schaefer just hyping him up. No, um, I stand right behind Dave. Oh, do you? And I just whisper in his ear the whole time, and one hand is on his butt. <laughs> and, but but she'll never tell you which he hand. He finds it very comforting. <laughs> do you want, that's why I feel uncomfortable. He's, or, he loves it. He needs it. It soothes him. Well, fortunately, you are wearing a Madonna headset mic, so we can hear your whispers. <laughs> All right, so you're ready for this big list of 10 names, Dave? 
Absolutely. Oh All right, God, here you we feel go. the confidence there. Are you ready, Dave? Let's Are do this. you Thank ready? You. Yes. Grab my butt. Grab my butt. Yeah, see? He loves it. <laughs> All right, from Ash in Great Britain, it's Wheat Wheatington. <laughs> Wheat Wheatington, he's from Ash, but when I see him, I think cash. This guy's yes, loaded. Yes, he's got money, money, he's money. He's money. This man is money. money. Hard cash. Wheat Money Wheatington. Uh, I'd also love to thank and welcome into the club from Glasgow in Scotland. It is Lewis Gamble. Oh, Glasgow on in, Lewis. Yes. Grab yourself a brewski. Lewis. From Croydon in Great Britain, it's Keir Beals. Have no fear, it's Keir. Oh, it's here. Good. I'm wondering, were we in Great Britain three years ago? Because there are a lot of Great Britain uh, yeah. names here. I'd also love to thank from Birmingham in Great Britain, it's Kieran Darcy. Oh, Kieran Darcy keeps things classy. Oh my God, Dave. Yes. And I'd like to thank from Dundee in Scotland, the famous stewards, Dundee Decanter, home of Haig Crookshank. Oh, I'd just like to thank, to say Haig Crook, thanks for your support. Yes, and welcome in. (laughs) Whoa. I'd love to thank from Shirley in Great Britain. It's Jodie Thomas. Uh, Jodie Thomas, I'll make you a promise. Yes. That you'll have a great time in there. Yes, Jodie. I'd love to thank from Atis Cadero in maybe California in the United States. It's Connor Seema. Oh, Seema on down. Seema, I thought you were going to say Seema, so this really threw me off. <laughs> Seema down. Stop looking ahead, Dave. It's going to be <laughs> free-flowing here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Connor, uh, um, you make me want to have a great time. There we go. Nailed it. From Banstead in Surrey, Great Britain, it's William Townsend. Oh, more like Grandstead. Grand. Grand. It makes sense when you From see it From Greenock in Inverglide. Inverclyde in Great Britain. It's Scott Coventry. Oh, more like hot Coventry. Oh, my God. Not your value. Not your value, but your outfit's fantastic. You are, you're looking stunning. And finally, from Daventry in Great Britain, it's Lewis Williams. Oh. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> oh, Daventry. Uh, more like Paddentry. Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> Something? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Rare praise. There's still, uh, <laughs> you were on such a roll. I feel like no, I almost want to keep enough. going. That's enough. All right. Thank you and welcome into Thanks. the club. Make yourselves at home. Lewis, Scott, William, Connor, Jody, Haig, Kieran, Keir, Lewis, and Wheat. Uh, make yourselves at home. Enjoy an, an, ev- uh, an Enigma beverage. Get ready for Alice Cooper himself. Huh? We yes. are not worthy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anything to say before we head off for the day, Bop? Uh, just that we love you and that anybody can make a suggestion at any time. There's a link in the show notes. It's on our website, dogoonpod.com, and that's also where you can find uh, merch. You can look up other stuff. Um, <laughs> you can see what we look like if you've never been on social media before. And if you want to see what we look like, we are doing some shows, and you can always keep in up to date with what we're doing uh, now and in the future, even if you're listening to this in the future. Dogoonpod.com, there's live shows tab. See if we're coming to your town. Oh, and we hope we are. Really we do. love your town and we love you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Dave, please boot this baby home. We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, I'll say thank you so much and goodbye. Later. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 